and welcome to the Grassroots Coachcast, Episode 7. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Ben. Hi, how you doing, guys? And we also have a special guest with us tonight, Dean. Hi, guys. We're going to be talking to Dean about his coaching journey so far, and in our retro review, we'll be discussing Johan Cruyff. Okay, so guys, before we get going though, we have another five-star review. We have a go Lazzo. Excellent. So this one starts off, needs more cowbell, which to be <laughs> honest, I, I can't think of many things which don't need a bit more cowbell. So completely agree with you there. And it says, seriously though, this is a top-class podcast, great double act and good content. So thank you very much. Really appreciate those five-star reviews there. Can you can you say thanks to your mum for that review, mate? Yeah, cheers, mum. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when I saw Needs More Cowbell, I, I, there's, a, there's a drummer who used to play with years and years ago, and uh, he, he was always trying to layer on the cowbell. And I thought it was him, but <laughs> I don't think it is. There's always room for a bit of cowbell in some music. Absolutely. Okay, so I think what we'll do, Ben, we'll we'll go straight into the to the interviews. We've got Dean on. Yep, cool. So um, let's start off with Dean. How did you get into football initially? Just before we got into coaching and everything, how how did you get into football first of all? Well, um, I mean, to be honest, as a game, it's the only thing I can ever really remember playing, even as a kid. So. Uh, Literally, I grew up in East London, in Upton Park, which is just a stone's throw away from um, the bowling football ground, spiritual home of West Ham. And are, you, are you a West Ham fan, Dean? I, I, I am, actually. Yeah, I am. I mean, well, I should, use, I should really use the term fan loosely because, uh, uh, you know, as a kid, you kind of, yeah, you love your local team, but then you also like the team who's at the top of the table, which was very yeah. seldom West Ham. But, um, but no, definitely, they're definitely the team I kind of look out for now. Um, so yeah, I'd literally, you know, I'd, I'd be in the back garden or be, uh, walking down like the local streets. And if it was a Saturday afternoon, you could hear the, the roar of the crowd because literally was that close to the ground. So I kind of grew up with football around me and I used to, you know, play a lot as a kid, had three brothers. I remember at the age of four, we'd be playing in the front room. There's, you know, not many ornaments in the front room survived. And most of them ended up being glued back together because, you know, three or four kids running around the front room playing football was uh, what we spent a lot of our day doing. So that was kind of uh, my first memories of uh, playing football. And then I'd say, you know, as I grew up and got a bit older, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So I'd say from the age of seven onwards, I was allowed to play out a lot more. And obviously in the 80s, there were a lot less cars on the street. So you'd only have a few cars parked down your road and fewer cars driving by so you could you know throw down some 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 coats and and, and play a little uh, game of football out in the street with the neighbors so we do that all day long as well cool yeah and it, we were talking about this off air weren't we that uh that that whole street football it's really it's really disappeared now hasn't it yeah i mean i mean i've got three kids of my own so um you know, two boys and a girl uh, one of the boys is 10, one's eight. And even at this age, I myself as a parent, I'm pretty, 
I'm reluctant to to just let them go out and play on their own. I mean, if they're going to be out playing like in the front yard or out in the street, I mean, I'll, I'll be out there watching every moment, watching everything that's going on. It's just kind of the atmosphere of of, of that we're kind of living in at the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think a lot of that has really disappeared. Yeah, yeah. And so, how did you get into uh, how did you get into coaching? Well, I'd say coaching most. I don't know. I don't know how many other parents have been in a similar situation, but you know, I, I was never. I wasn't like a very good footballer when I was growing up. I was very quick and I could kick the ball in front of me and chase it. Um, but I was never really skillful. I only ever played for fun. I was never part of a team or anything like that. And when it came to coaching, it's it's nothing I ever 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 imagined I'd be involved in. It just was never ever on my radar. Um, to be honest with you, I think it's all obviously it's all come about since um, I've had children. Um, my eight-year-old boy absolutely loves football. You know, he'd play every moment if he could. And um, I remember, I think when he was about six, maybe seven, um, we there was like a local coach that was trying to start up a little team. So every Saturday he'd do run like a little uh, a football session in a local park. I uh, took my boys along to that and they really enjoyed that. And then uh, a couple of my boys' school friends were, were part of that session as well. And those those kids played for a club and they invited my son to come and uh, play with them. So I think he started off at U... That's probably U7, the under-7s. Yes, mm-hmm. I think he start, that, that was kind of how it all started. Um, now, with the team that he was asked to join... That team was slight. They were in a little bit of disarray or a little bit of transition. So they had lost their actual manager, lost their actual coach. So although they were a team and they'd turn up and play Sunday matches, they didn't have anybody like uh, doing any training sessions. And the thing is, because my son had just joined the team, it, for me, I'm like that kind of parent. Like, okay, you know, you you want your son to do do his best. You want him to do really well. You don't want to put him in a team and and see him, you know, left on the subs bench. So you know, I used to take him over to the park a couple of times a week and especially on Saturdays and then one day I just put a message out to the parents saying look I'm going to take my boy over on Saturday to go and do some training to prepare for the match if any any of you guys want to come along just you know feel free to bring your kids and come along and to my surprise the majority of the team actually turned up now what I didn't expect was that they were going to look to me as if I knew what I was doing when I clearly didn't but they kind of looked to me as a coach to actually run something and do something with the kids mm-hmm. so I kind of so so from that small basis I kind of got into okay here's a group of kids and we need to play something or do some kind of drills I guess and it, I guess it really all started there sounds good so I guess that that was a uh you kind of fell into that coaching role you stuck your head out of the parapet <laughs> and, oh, and I what, absolutely fell into that yeah yeah and wasn't that your story as well Ben I, I think didn't your coach leave yeah pre- pretty much the same thing um my my lad played in a little league team and I think oh, his coach left after the first year so we're moving up to under uh eights or nines um, and he didn't want to do it anymore because his lad played and his lad didn't want to do it anymore. He wanted to play rugby. So there was a, a bit of a vacancy and a couple of the a couple of the dads were like, oh, Ben, you should do that. Um, they didn't put themselves forward. They just sort of pushed me forward. And I kind of always, after watching him play and watching how this other guy coached, I thought, yeah, I quite fancy having a go at that because this other guy didn't do any training and he didn't really coach them. He just sort of turned up and threw him on the pitch 
random places and just let them get on with it. So, yeah, I kind of I was quite keen to get involved, and it kind of went from there really. Um, did that for a couple of years, then just so happened um, got a friend who coaches at our club now, who's got an under eights team, and he phoned me up one day and said, um, you know, they're looking for coaches. And we were trying to find my lad a proper club to join because he, he's not bad and he'd kind of outgrown Little League a little bit. Um, so I thought, oh, you know, that might be interesting. So I phoned the owner up and he was like, yeah, yeah, we're looking to start another under-10s team. Um, come on down and meet us. So I went down and met him and the sort of vice chairman. Um, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you can start your own team, which was great. And I had a sort of four or five players that were kind of good to go that I thought would be good enough. Um, and it went from there, really. So I, I kind of fell into it as well. And I don't think I never had any ambitions to want to do it. But it was only because my lad got into it. And after watching him play and getting involved in it, you kind of just get hooked. So that's kind of how it how it was for me. Mm-hmm. So probably I think it's similar for you, Dave, as well. Yeah, I guess, Dean. Uh, um, so after after that initial kick around the park... And then having to, I guess, come up with something pretty rapidly because the parents are looking at you, you know, asking you what what are the kids going to do? So what was what was the next step after that? Uh, like, I mean, I guess the next step after that, well, the I guess the initial step was after running that first session and just pretty much having a bit of a kick about was, you know, this is the information age. I'd go straight to Google, straight to YouTube and start looking up some some drills and stuff like that. And um, I I had no formal football coaching education, nothing like that whatsoever. I didn't even know it really existed. But obviously YouTube's a rich resource for, <clears throat> for um uh, football training there's loads of different drills online etc so i'll just go and choose some some drills out of that to be honest and try and put something together um obviously some of the drills i chose were you know the kind of drills you probably do with the the, the spanish national team or the barcelona team and wasn't really suitable to seven-year-olds but i wasn't really to know that at the time i just put something together and, and give it a go mm-hmm. luckily the main thing was i think the kids were having fun they were just enjoying enjoying having some training and the parents kind of felt like oh, now the kids are, are doing some training they should be better for the sunday so you know we just carried on with that for a while um but to be honest with you it all kind of came off the rails after about maybe after about eight weeks so um there was more upheaval in the team the team had a goalkeeper who no longer wanted to play in goal so we literally turned up at a match one sunday and the goalkeeper said nope down in tools not playing in goal uh, to which we all kind of looked at each other and thought what are we gonna do uh i guess being being the kind of you know the the new dad and the new child in the team um i said okay look well we need a goalkeeper. I said, look, why don't we do this? I'll put my boy in, in, in goal for the first half of the game. Then he can play at pitch. So at least that'll kind of, if someone else can do the same and go and goal the second half, at least we're covered and we can work that situation out afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they did that. My boy went in goal and um, he, <laughs> he he didn't really enjoy that too much, to be honest with you, uh, because he didn't know what he's doing. He'd never ever been in goal before. Uh, pretty much after, so, but, after, but we actually ended up winning the game. So that was good. Um, you know, all the parents ran over to my boy, yeah, giving him hope. Oh, great! You know, he did really good in goal. <laughs> but the problem was, he didn't like it. They thought he'd done well. We won the game. Then after that, they pretty much asked him to go in goal permanently. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and we spoke about it, 
And my son didn't really want to do that. I mean, he loved the fact that he was able to play football with some of his schoolmates because they were part of the team. Uh, but he wanted, like any other kid, he wanted to really just go out there and play. You know, him going in goal wasn't really what he wanted to do. But I think the team had pretty much made up their mind and said, well, he's pretty much going to be their new goalkeeper if he turns up on, on mm-hmm. a Sunday. So then I think the situation that I was in uh, was I kind of felt like I'd let him down a little bit. I thought, oh, no, and I'm the one that said, you know, yeah, go and join this team if you enjoy playing football and kind of, I wouldn't say got him into it because he, he wanted to play anyway. But, you know, uh, you just kind of want your best for your kids, right? And if you see them doing something that they don't really want to do and you feel like you've had a hand in that, you mm-hmm. don't really feel good about yourself. So I felt pre- I felt pretty bad. So I think after about a couple of months of being involved with that team, we're, we're looking for a new team. Um, uh, we then just kind of scouted around, asked other cousins of his age and stuff like that if they played football, found one that played for a, a team in Dagenham in, in, in London. And... Um, uh, called up the manager of that team. They said, yeah, you, you know, br- bring your boy along and he can, you know, come and see what he thinks of the club. So, yeah, we did that. Uh, and he he kind of enjoyed it. He was really sad about not being able to play in the old team with his old friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least with this team, he was able to actually, you know, play out on pitch. There was no talk of him going in goal. Um, so, yeah, we, we got involved quite heavily with that team. Uh, after about six weeks of training with them, um, they said they actually put, you know, he'd actually deregistered from his old team, registered with this team, he was able to actually play for them. But one thing I think I noticed was uh, when I'd go and watch some of their training sessions, um, sometimes there would be, because it was a really big club, so sometimes there'd be a situation where you might have, say, uh, one coach with, say, 25 of the kids. And, um, you know, the, co- the coach, don't get me wrong, the coach is doing a great job. But uh, at times there were drills where, you know, the kids are in like long lines. So there's one, there's one say, passing drill where the kids are in a line. My boy would be at the back of the line. It would take him a couple of minutes to get a few kicks of the ball. Then he'd be at the back of the line again, waiting for a few mm-hmm. more minutes. And, and seeing that, I just thought, well, this is a two hour or a one and a half hour session. And I'm sure he could be getting involved a bit more over that time, you know, actually touch more touches of the ball. So uh every week they'd publish like a little a team newsletter and on the front there was a, a a little advert there saying you know volunteers needed so the week after i went and spoke to to one of the the coaches and said if you're still looking for volunteers i don't mind helping out and that was it you know i'm sure you guys are familiar with being a a parent coach at a a, a bigger club and and that's um that was really the next step for me because that was a much bigger club some direct involvement and rather than me leading coaching which is what i was doing for his previous team and i didn't know anything what i was doing i was kind of being mentored by um like level two coaches and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so i was kind of putting cones out watching what they were doing they'd give me like say 10 of the kids to run a quick 10 minute warm-up or something i'd do that but more than anything i'd really watch those more seasoned coaches and and begin to learn from them that's interesting and and i'll just pick up on one thing that you've said there because uh, uh, a statement that resonated with me a, a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the guys on the one of the FA guys on the the level one course who's saying that there's nothing that the FA hates more than long lines. You know, if you have if you have your practices um, or your drills, and you've got kids lining up, well, they're not individually touching the ball enough during that session because everyone's just stood in a in a big old long line. And like you've just said there, just just waiting around basically until they get to the front. They have their little moments, and then they, you know, go to the back of the line again. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things, you know, you don't have to have done the FA Level 1 coaching course to, to look at it and think mm -hmm. he could be doing more. He could yeah, be more yeah. involved. He could be learning more. So, yeah. Okay, great. So, and then, so so that was your first, that was your in. So you got to, uh, did you go in as a as a head coach straight away, running your own team, or were you supporting another coach? Oh, no, I absolutely had no intentions of going in as a head coach. Literally, um, all I was really thinking was, um, if I turn up as an assistant, at least rather than having one coach look after, say, 25 kids and having these longer lines, maybe I can look after a few of them. Um, if some of them are misbehaving and kind of, uh, uh, you know, stopping the drills from running smoothly, I can kind of go and as another pair of eyes type thing. That's what I was really going in for. Another pair of eyes, help put some cones out and help kind of run things. But it was very much um, as an assistant role. I, I had no, no plans to go in there and manage a team, lead a team or anything like that. I wasn't really interested in that. I was really just interested in, because the thing is, parents often when they get involved in in these with these clubs and sunday league it's really about their own children and for me it was no different it's really about my son i mean if my son suddenly said he didn't want to play football anymore it's not like i'm going to keep turning up and continue to help that club i'm, I'm really mm -hmm. in it for my son i think in my mind um if i'm going to be there for his good the the least I can do is make sure that everybody else around us is benefiting as well. So it was really just to go and assist and help things run a lot more smoothly. Mm -hmm. And so, what were the what were the first few months like when you when you went in and and started helping out running those sessions? Um, I mean, they were fantastic. It was it was there was a lot of nerves. I mean, you could imagine. Um, I guess the the way in which it worked was uh, I, I would literally turn up and, and I knew how the cones should be set out. I'd watch them do it. I'd set cones out, et cetera, and all that sort of thing. Welcome the kids in. And then what would often happen is during the warm-up, we'd split the group. Let's say there were 30 kids. We'd split them up into two groups. I would do a warm-up with one group. The other coach would do a warm-up with their group. And then, say, my warm-up would last maybe seven minutes. And then we'd switch over. So I'd take his half, and then we'd kind of... So I, I, one thing I had to do was to make sure I was prepared with some kind of drill, some kind of warm-up exercise to do that. Um, but obviously, a lot of my drills either came from YouTube or they really just came from watching what the other coaches were doing. And you could really see that these guys had been either doing it for some time or in, uh, and were obviously experienced and, and had done the FA court, uh, um, coaching courses because the way the drills that they come, came up with and the way in which they ran them, I mean, I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I love the way they're doing that. Then I'd steal ideas from one and steal ideas from the other, plug them together and create my own drill. Um, so for the first few weeks, it was really just being involved in the warm-up. And then when they had larger-sided games, it was maybe being a referee on one of the games. Um, maybe if they were playing, let's say, a seven-a-side and there were another 10 kids left over, I'd do another activity with those 10 kids while they were waiting to go on. And uh, that pretty much continued for, like, the first say six to eight weeks so that that was pretty much my involvement um obviously by then my son was actually playing for the team so on a on a match day as I was now considered kind of assistant coaching staff I was then rather than having to stand on the the parent parent side of the uh, of the pitch I'd, I'd be on the coaching side so I'd kind of be assisting there as well making sure the players that weren't on the pitch were, were properly warmed up and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm and one of the, so we're probably up to the to the right point now that where I, I 
really interested. One of the first things you and I were talking about just over email was was that progression from um, being a, a, I don't think you use the words, but like a shouty sideline parent. <laughs> those, those are probably my words, not your words, but being that kind of um, shouting from the sidelines type of coach and then going on that journey to, to where you, you're actually taking a step back from that. But, but tell us a bit about initially when, when you were first on the sidelines and, and kind of how it was and, and how it was for your son. Uh, well, I, mean, I don't know whether it was you that used the term shouty or myself first, but that's yeah. a perfect descriptor, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I guess it, was, it goes back to a point I made earlier when I said, you know, I just really wanted the best for my, for my son. You know, I really wanted him to do well. I didn't want him to let the team or himself or anyone down. And it's, it's a strange thing when you're, when, and football, especially in that football bubble, it's very strange. And I don't know whether this resonates with anyone. It may, it may not. Maybe this is just me, you know, transferring what I think of the game onto others. But with football, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a carrot when your son starts playing football because somewhere, somewhere, and I'll talk about myself here, somewhere in the back of my mind, even if I don't admit it, you know, consciously, there's that thought that, well, you know, he could make something, he could actually make something of this, you know, maybe he could even be a, you know, make a career in football in the future. Mm-hmm. And the moment you have that, even as an inkling in the back of your mind, you're also thinking, well, it's quite lucrative. Footballs get paid a lot of money. Oh, that would be amazing for them. So although right now he's eight, he's seven, eight years old, and I w- wouldn't really, I don't really think about it in that way. At that time, in the back of my mind, that was one of the drivers behind me wanting him to do well. And then also on top of that, there's also that, um, that fear of failure, that fear of you know seeing your son do something and not being good enough. And now, the, the crazy thing is, he was just happy just to go out there and play. To him, football was a game, and that's essentially what it is. But the fear of failure and, you know, feelings of not being good enough, I guess that's, they were my worries and my concerns and maybe things that I'd felt when I was younger that I'm now, tra- that I was transferring onto him. And because of that kind of driving or, or me, that, that really being the driving force behind me wanting him to do well. It, I'm hoping I'm making sense with that explanation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so, so I guess because of all of those things kind of swirling around, the carrot and the stick, um, yeah, I'd find myself uncontrollably emotionally involved and invested in every kick of the game, as it, as concerned my son specifically. So, and I just, I couldn't switch it off, to be honest with you. I couldn't. My emotions were just so running so high during a game. Every, you know, every single touch of the ball, every movement, I was, I was screaming, run back, run forward, defend, um, you know, come inside, stay, play goal side, dribble, chase back. Uh, literally, it was constant. Literally, it was constant <laughs> instructions. I just couldn't, it's even now as I'm telling you, I, I almost can't, I, I get emotional now just talking about it, to be honest with you, because I can remember the feelings, what it was like at that time, just being so emotionally invested in the game mm-hmm. and really not being able to switch it off. And, and I was, I'd catch myself at moments, you know, loudly screaming and, and other parents were doing the same, don't get me wrong, but I'd catch myself and I'd think, okay, Dean, just, just, just calm down, just calm down. 
And then 20 seconds later, I'm at it again, just really screaming out instructions. And it wasn't even, these weren't even useful coaching instructions. It was a typical parent type instruction that you'd get, you know what I mean? Run faster. You know, it's not really helping the, the players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who uh, that probably resonates with as well. And, and I think I, I, I certainly know where you're coming from there. And, uh, Ben, I, I, this isn't something I don't think we've we've necessarily discussed in the past. Was it the same for you in, in those early days? Uh, what, being shouty? Yeah. Yeah, I probably still am a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've always, I don't think I've <clears throat> tempered my touchline behaviour that much, really. I'm kind of, oh, don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of, you know, going a bit OTT at times, not in an aggr- not in a horrible aggressive way, but yeah, I can be quite loud. Um, but it's important for me that I'm always very positive with it. I don't like to. You see, some parents really kind of get on the back of their own kids and stuff, and I'm quite keen to. There's always a positive at the end, and we discussed the other week about what was the what was the thing you, you that phrase you said about the the negative comment at the end. And it wipes out all the good comments. What was the, what was that? Oh, the uh, the butt sandwich. The so butt if you, sandwich. That's yeah, it. if you if you try and lay give some positive praise, but then you say but, and then you give all the negative stuff. It's as if you might you might not have bothered to say that positive stuff. Yeah, and, my, and I've, I think I said the other week. I've always tried to do it the other way around. If I've got a, oh, you could have done that better, but nice try. I know why you did it well done that kind of thing and I've always tried to emphasize the positive aspects of whatever they're doing and especially after having been on the course it's probably made me assess because I haven't done we obviously haven't done a game since I did the course um, so I think it's probably made me think about how I will behave on the touchline and I think I'm reasonably in control um, obviously you get so sucked into the actual game that sometimes it gets a bit a bit fraught but yeah, I've always, I don't think I've changed too much, but now going forward, I think I will probably think a bit more about how I deal with the kids now I've had time to reflect on the course and what I've learned from it. So we'll see. We can have a chat in a few weeks and see if um, anything's changed. Hopefully it has. <laughs> yeah, I, I can certainly tell you. My my outward uh, shoutiness has, has definitely gone downwards, but, but my internal monologue is still the same. I'm still saying all. I'm still shouting in, internally to myself all the things that Dean shouting as well. Just, you know, get, get what, yeah, last year I this it made me laugh a lot. I was I was doing a little league game, and um, I was quite I was actually quite friendly with this coach. They were actually quite a rival team of ours, and we had some pretty close battles. And they beat us, and we beat them. But the coach is a really great guy. And I got on really well with him. And I think in this particular game, his team were taking really awful corners. I mean, you know, either overhitting them or just booting them out of play and not getting them on the pitch. And he, this lad took a corner and the coach, I could just hear under his breath, he had this, he just swore to himself, really, had this little really angry dialogue with himself. But then out loud to the player went, lucky mate, good effort. But it's just the way he was sort of, you could tell. He had to really sort of 
focus on that positive comment. When to me, I think it's <laughs> ranting under his breath, he went, hey, well done, good try. It was just, <laughs> we're all, we'll all do that. And I certainly do it. You, you're kind of having a little rant to yourself and then you go, hey, well done, good effort. Yeah, I think that's yeah. important. Obviously, the kids don't hear that and, you know, they're doing their best. So it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so Dean, I mean, how did how did you progress from there? What what happened after? Because obviously, that that's not how you are now. So, what was the next step from there? Well, I think I think things had to really reach a reach a, a critical mass or, or come to a head. So things, you know, it, it, I think if if all I did was maybe screaming from the sidelines, that may not have been the end of the world. But I think. Uh, other an, another aspect would be the journey home from the match. So the conversations in the car, it'd be just me and my boy in the car. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, emotions are still running pretty high. And uh, if you can imagine, you know, he's he's been out there and he's done his absolute best. He's done everything he can do. In my mind, though, um, you know, we let's just say uh, that was a Sunday game. Let's just say the Monday before that, I'd take him over the park and we'd done some passing drills. Let's say we went to the park again on the Wednesday and we did some dribbling and shooting. And then we trained again on the Saturday with the team and we did whatever we did there. Then on the Sunday, we turned up for the match. I think my expectations of uh, after, say, doing those say, three or four training sessions and turning up at the match were probably... They, they were pretty high. I'd expect him to be able to start implementing some of those things that we'd been practising. And then obviously when on match day, when those things didn't come out, the kind of conversations we'd have in the car on the way home would be things like, uh, you know, come on, come on, son. We've, I've taken you, you know, I've put in all of this time and all of this effort, get home from work early to take your training. And it just seems like you don't care. You know, you're, you, you're playing on the pitch and you don't even bother running or chasing back. It's, it's like you're not even bothered. Am I wasting my time? Was it was the time of rhetoric, that type of rhetoric that would be coming from me? And um, you know, really not, in my mind, I thought it was perfectly justified in making those kinds of statements, you know, forgetting that this was an eight-year-old boy and that this is a, a game that he's playing and it's meant to be fun. Um, <clears throat> and I think those kinds of conversations, and, and then it would get to the point as, we, you know, there'd be times when we'd get home and I'd just say, right, well, I'll tell you what, let's just forget it. Let's just forget this whole football thing because, you know, I'm putting in all this this effort and we turn up on a Sunday and it just seems like you don't really care. You're not really trying. Look, let's just forget the whole, you're obviously not serious about it. Let's just forget the whole thing. And then, you know, there'd be tears and there'd be all that. So, oh no, 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 daddy, I really do want to play, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'd feel bad. And then, you know, we'd, but then we'd go around the same cycle again. Um, and then I'd say, okay, come on, look, what we're going to do is we're going to really, we're going to really start training really hard now and really going to try and improve. And then I'd say for a period of about, we do like a 30 day challenge. So I'd say, right, for the next 30 days, every day for 10 minutes, we'll do some practice on our on, on our left foot. And I'd do it with him as well. We do, we'll do some like, we'll do some passes, do some wall passes, and then we'll do some dribbling drills. We'll do that every day for 30 days, and then we'll see how, how, how we implement those things and how good we are. Now, after a couple of weeks of doing that and watching my son play, and there really didn't seem to be that much improvement, there would be the same type of conversation. But I guess where things came to the head was that, at work, someone had all um, had organised a five-a-side game. Like, we we're just going to play at lunchtime, so quite a few workmates. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I've been, you know, I've been coaching this team, so I understand a lot more about football now. I haven't played for a long time, but I've done loads of, you know, drills with my son over the park and in the garden. So I should be pretty handy at playing football. So turned up for this match, uh, you know, a load of work colleagues started playing. 
And it, how can I put it? Being part of an actual game, to me, it, it looked like absolute chaos. It looked, all I could see when I was playing was, you know, people running everywhere, the ball moving 100 miles an hour. And, and I couldn't, you know, all the things that I'd been practicing with my son, you know, the simple passes, nothing was working. Nothing was coming off. You know, mm-hmm. with my son in the garden, we'd practice step overs and Cruyff turns and all these moves. And you know what? I looked a million dollars in the garden. <laughs> the, moment, the moment I was on the pitch, I was absolutely clueless. And then the worst thing happened. Because that was that was the first five minutes of that game. Then the tiredness kicked in. And if I couldn't do those things before, once I was knackered, forget it. Literally, I was calling the goalkeeper over saying, can we swap positions? <laughs> <laughs> but I think what what really made it come to a head was was um, my son said, he, I told him I was going to be playing this match and he was so excited. At the fact. He's like, oh, daddy, you're playing a match. That's amazing. Brilliant. Can you record it? So I literally put my phone. This was like a little five side game we were playing. Put my phone down in the corner, recorded the game. <clears throat> you know, I, I was absolutely useless is the honest truth. On the way, but going back to the office from playing the match, I was literally watching it on my phone. And I'd start it and, I, you know, see me there kind of waddling around the pitch a bit and trying to run and make runs, but really being pretty clueless. And then I'd forward it, say, three or four minutes. And all you'd see is me on the pitch with my hands on my, de- on my knees, gasping for air. I'm like, oh, oh don't want to watch that bit. Forward it another couple of minutes. Then you'd see me in goal, where I'd obviously two <laughs> knackers. And I was back in goal. And I'd forward it a few more minutes and I'd be back out on the pitch, hands on my knees, absolutely knackered again, just thinking. And I'm watching that thinking, oh, my God. I've done all of that training and I'm, and I'm absolutely useless. And it was kind of a real humble pie mo- moment with me realizing I, I, I'm, I, either the training I was doing was not effective or my expectations of, of how a player develops and improves at football is way too high because I've mm-hmm. obviously got nowhere after all of that training, but yeah, I've put all of that pressure onto my son on a week by week basis saying, you know, we've been out training three times. How come I'm not seeing you doing these Ronaldo moves? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that those expectations were absolutely unrealistic. And I just, I had no concept of that until I'd played that game myself and thought, ah, okay. Um, I've really not approached this very well, have I whatsoever? And I think from that moment onwards, literally that day, I had to go back to my son and say, look, I can show you some of this game. But before I show you how I played, first of all, I have to say, son, you've done amazingly well over the last year playing football. You've improved so much. And I don't think I ever really appreciated how much effort you've put in and how much you've improved because already you're a way better footballer than I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And um, from now on, just watch. But I think uh, you'll see how you and I, you know, work at getting better at football together. We'll, we'll, We'll change a lot from now on. There won't be any more shouting you won't hear anything like that from me anymore. And I think he was like, okay, daddy, <laughs> you know, like it was no big deal. <laughs> but for me, it was like epiphany. It was a, it was a major, major moment for me. That sounds great. I mean, I, I, I've played for years and I, I've, I've always been rubbish. Um, and, and like you've just said there, you know, I, th- I think when my daughter plays now and, and, and my lad, they, you know, he's, he's about the same age as yours. So, he, you know, they're both better than me at that age so uh yeah <laughs> I, I i don't have any uh, any qualms about you know the fact that they're better and and one of the things that i always have to remind myself on the sidelines you know when someone say someone makes what looks like a wrong decision 
it's very, very easy from the sidelines. And you've got a completely different perspective, usually looking across the whole pitch. And as you said there, when you're uh, when you're on the pitch, you've got a completely different perspective. You're seeing things differently, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, as the way I described it was the game just looked like absolute chaos. It looked like organised confusion to me. There was just so much going on, so much movement. Your perspective is very different. On the sideline, you can take in the entire game. If you're playing, especially in the middle of the pitch, you can only see really what's in front of you. And, you know, you'd be on the, you know, when you're kind of coaching, you'd be, you know, telling players to check the shoulder and all this sort of thing. But it's like when you first try, you know, you have your first couple of driving lessons, you know, you've got the steering wheel, you've got the mirror, Mm -hmm. you've got cars, you've got the road, you've got pedals. There's just too much to try and focus on at the same time. And for me, my experience on the pitch was, I didn't know what to look, didn't know which way to look, which way to run. There was just so much going on. And and to, to think I'd throw my son into that environment and then barked instructions at him and not even uh, respecting the fact that he may be tied, run back, get back, go on, you know, mark up and all that sort of stuff. It was, uh, yeah, you know, I, I could have done a lot better. So, Sure. And so from that point then, it sounds like a pretty sobering uh, moment. So, but you were doing these, you'd set yourself like a 30-day target, I think you said, and you were training, doing drills several times a week. So after that epiphany, did, what changed obviously in terms of your attitude you you had a big change there but in terms of that those targets and and those regular drill sessions were you still carrying those on yeah well we we changed we really did change our approach a lot so now it was more a case of uh, now it was it was very much more a case of you know let's enjoy the game because one thing i did notice that when we you know when we started go doing the extra training sessions and then obviously the, the the old cycle of me barking at him on a Sunday and I was getting into arguments and all that sort of stuff. Um, one thing I did kind of realise was that he didn't seem to be enjoying football as much as he was maybe six months prior to that. So I'd say to him, like, come on, we're going to go over to the park and, and, and play some and you know, do some drills or play football. And he wasn't as quick to lace up his boots as he, as he wanted. And I could mm-hmm. see he was kind of to wear on him so one of the first things i did was football's got to be fun again it's, it's just got to be fun if it's no fun what's the point so then yeah we'd go over the park but then it'd be a case of oh, what do you want to do so i'd ask him what do you what does he want to play mm-hmm. and sometimes he'd say, oh, i just want to take some shots so we'd you know we'd have a be in a where we in our park we have you know the cage with the goals and the basketball um, nets and stuff so we'd go in there and he could take as many shots as he want and then all I would do is I'd kick the ball to him at different angles. I say, and I'd say things like, right, first five shots with your right, second five shots with your left. And then so inside the environment of him doing what he wants to do and having the kind of fun that he, in, playing football in the way that he wants to play it, I would then use that as an opportunity to say, okay, well, maybe in this environment now, which he's chosen for himself, we can do things which are developmental. So we do mm-hmm. things in, in that sort of way. Um, we started playing football tennis over the park as well. And he absolutely loves playing football tennis. And that's great for his touch and obviously his ball control and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So he absolutely loves playing that. But I think one of the main things are I kind of really give gave him control over what he wants to do with his football. And since I started doing that, um, I mean, he wants to play all the time now. Every opportunity he wants to play. Come, Daddy, can we go to the park? Can we go to the garden? And you mm-hmm. can see that it's, it's put the fun back in the game for him. Um, in the fun back into the game for him again and he's really enjoying it and and obviously that's 
there's also had a, a knock-on impact impact to the Sunday League team as well because I completely, completely changed my approach to um, the, you know, how I was coaching with the Sunday League team. So then it once again uh, became about forgetting the lines and all that sort of stuff. You know, if I turned up for a training, kids, what do you want to do? We want to play a match. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know what it's like. And I, but in my mind, normally, rather than shutting that down, it's like, yeah, why not? We all want to get better at football. And what better way than to actually play a match? So often what I would start doing would be, you know, to start playing a lot more small-sided games. So rather than the seven-a-sides, I'd maybe set up three pitches and do some four-a-side games and ask, like, another parent or one of the other coaches to come oversee some of the games. Because mm-hmm. then they would get loads more touches. They were doing what they wanted to do by playing the game a lot more. And then all I would do is inside that environment of uh, which I, which they had decided on what they wanted to do, I would then just coach within that environment. And it would be using conditions in the game. So the game, we might play a game like, you know, four aside, uh, three touches only, you know, that type of thing. Or I would say it could be like, you can only score off a, 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 a one touch or a volley or it might be every every person on the team has got to touch the ball at least once before you're allowed to go and, and have a shot on goal, that mm-hmm. type of thing, those kinds of conditions. So they were doing what they wanted to do, which was to play a match. And then within that environment, we'd then kind of instruct or put conditions for their learning and that sort of thing. So it really changed the, my entire approach, to be honest with you. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, again... Hand on heart, I, I think the, the early sessions that I was doing just weren't really fun. They were drills, and, and Ben and I were discussing last week about using that that word drill, you know, and just having them dribble round cones and focusing. Uh, you mentioned like Cruyff, doing Cruyff turns and stuff, focusing on technique um, and not, you know, football's a serious business isn't it you know and and it's not it's not fun at all and and so I I don't know if I had an epiphany but but definitely looking back I I think it started out very very dull and dreary kind of drills and and trying more and more and more to to incorporate that fun element and and uh you know make sure first and foremost kids enjoy it Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is. I mean, is there a place for drills? Absolutely. Is there a place for uh, you know unopposed uh, practice? Absolutely. And that's still part of the training. So we might start off by say showing them a, a, a new a new technique, getting them to practice it for a for a few minutes, and then what I would try to do is 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 get them to try and then or, or maybe try and make that new technique a condition within the game, like. So if you're going to dribble, uh, I want you to use this move as part of of your dribbling, let's say. Something like that. So so then they could then learn a new technique and then put it into practice, but within that game environment, which they really enjoy. Uh, so it's, it's things like that we I, I kind of started to do a lot more during training. But, you know, drills and stuff, they do have their place. I think what I've really tried to do with them, though, is to maybe teach them a two, new technique and then give them homework. Because if they're going to do unopposed work, there's no point in them coming to an environment where they've got loads of players you know because mm-hmm. when they're at home they're not going to have five or six players that they can go and play a game with because we don't have that street football anymore so in the training environment when they're with the team i want them to be able to do what they can only really do within that type of environment and then give them homework to go and practice whatever kind of techniques i want them to practice practice even if i just say okay 100 wall passes a day on your left foot just go and do that you know one touch to control one touch to pass that type of thing and then you know, the next Sunday we can concentrate on more of the more of the team based stuff. Excellent.
And you actually, um, so the team that your son's in now, it, it's a futsal team, isn't it? Well, here's another thing, right? So uh, he still, no, he still plays Sunday league and, he, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm still a, kind of one of the, the assistants at the Sunday league team. But um, having realised how difficult the game was, um, and this is, bef- this is before I kind of had my, you know, my light bulb moment, I did realise that, well, I, I would like him to play more football and he did want to play more football, um, but I think I didn't want to do it in an environment where, which was subject to the weather, uh, which was, uh, let's say, subject to uh, an environment where he may still not get as many touches of the ball or may not be able to express himself freely. So what I did was I found some like local um, futsal uh, teams uh, and got him involved in, in some of those sessions. Um, but just like uh, everybody else, you know, sometimes a session will be run at a time and you just can't make it, say, after work at that specific time. Or, uh, you know, you'd, you'd take him to a football session and you'd find that, you know, almost like, let's say there were, there were 20 kids at this session, they'd play five a side. So for 10 minutes of the session, your son would be sitting out on the side rather than playing. Um, and I still didn't find that. I still thought, well, you know, he's only actually playing for half an hour of this, this futsal session. So what I then decided to do, I thought, well, I've done some coaching. I certainly don't know much whatsoever, but I thought, you know what? Uh, why don't I just have a go? So I went and literally signed up and did the uh, FA Level 1 in futsal and just decided to give it a go myself, to be honest. So mm-hmm. I managed to get uh, about 10 players involved, uh, all kind of like un- all U9s, and um, and just started to kind of just really started my own team, to be honest with you, with you, my own futsal team. That's awesome. And uh, can you help me understand a little bit more about futsal? Because I, I, I know five-a-side. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm expecting there's a there's a bit more nuance to it than than it's just a five a side game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that the main thing has in common with five a side is that it's five a side. Um, outside of that, there are numerous differences. So, I mean, futsal, just to give you an overview, uh, basically two 20 minute halves. Um, environmentally, it's played on a on a hard surface. So often you you the game will be played, say in an indoor sports hall or a school hall or something like that. It can be played outdoor, but if it is, it's got to be played on a hard surface. So you would never play futsal on, uh, let's say, on grass or 3G. The fact that it's on a hard surface uh, means that the ball is going to roll a lot quicker, move a lot quicker than it would do on a grass surface or 3G surface. So kind of some of the moves that you'd use on grass, like letting the ball run across your body, you're probably less likely to use on this hard surface because it's a lot quicker. Unlike the traditional English five-a-side games, which have, you know, the the, the sides of the pitches, the, the big wooden barriers, so you can literally kick it off the wall and, and keep playing. Um, futsal's played on, say, a 4 by 40 by 20 metre uh, size, size court, but there are actual touch lines as well. So you've got to be very aware spatially of where you are. Defenders can use a touch line to kick it out, you know, to take pressure off themselves. If you're an attacking player, you know, obviously you, you want to keep it within the boundaries of the pitch. You know, so they're, they're concerned or conditions that you don't have in the, the traditional old, um, old school five-a-side game. Um, there are touchlines, but uh, rather than taking a throw-in as you would do in normal 11-11, v, uh, 11-11 football, you actually take a kick-in. That's another uh, difference. The goals are another major difference. So uh, in a in the old school five-a-side game, you'd have the big letterbox size goals, whereas mm-hmm. in 
in futsal you use something more akin to if you're familiar with field hockey goals the kind of more square yeah remind me a little bit of handball yes that's it that's that's a great way of describing it but that's the type of goal you'd use in uh futsal as well yeah Mm -hmm. the handball style goals um with uh the traditional five-a-side game obviously you know there'd be the area around the goal where only the where only the goalkeepers allowed, whereas in futsal, you know, th- there is no such area, so you can literally, you know, dribble right up to the goalkeeper, you know, right next to the actual goal line, and and, and take a shot. There's, there's mm-hmm. no such restriction there, but also the way the goalkeeper uh, is used in futsal is a lot different. So the goalkeeper is more of a if you're familiar with uh, is it Edison that plays for Man City? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, he played a lot of futsal when he was younger, and um, and I think his style of play probably owes a lot to the game of futsal, because the goalkeepers are a lot more involved in the game. They're almost like the fifth outfield player, mm-hmm. whereas it's not uncommon for a goalkeeper to dribble the ball out and start the attack, or to to, to play really you know probing balls um, to to get the get the attacks over the halfway line and really get them going. That's really common within futsal. Um, other differences are that the actual ball that it's that you actually play futsal with, it's a lot heavier and bounce and has a lot lower bounce than uh, say a normal football. So the ball's always going to be lower to the ground. So once again, encouraging more <clears throat> play with the ball at your feet. Um, oh, here's another really important aspect: um, rolling substitutions. So one thing in futsal is, although it's a five-a-side game. Uh, often you turn up to a match with at least ten players, maybe twelve, even fourteen, mm-hmm. and each player on the each player on the pitch would only really play about five minutes before being substituted. So the entire game is played, you know, a hundred miles an hour, very high tempo. Um, players do get tired very quickly because it's a very physical game, but then they're only expected to play about five minutes before they get substituted off. And then, you know, another player would take their place and and it's, and it's constantly rolling subs. So you don't just have two subs that you can use. You can substitute as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially there's just, you know, loads and loads of touches on the ball for every player involved and constant decision-making, always being involved in the match. I think that's another kind of key, key aspect of futsal. Wow, very I good. Realize, I hadn't realised anything about that at all. And I think, uh, yeah, it's really good. And <clears throat> on a weekend where we've all been completely wiped out <laughs> in terms of all the matches have been cancelled and snowed off, I, I'm kind of wondering whether I need to look into this futsal a bit more myself. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, the first thing I did once I realised the matches were cancelled, I get, I we've got a WhatsApp group for our team, so I get straight onto WhatsApp and say, anybody that doesn't have a game on Sunday. The sports hall, I'll be calling them in the morning. If there's availability, I'm going to book a pitch. Anybody that wants to come and play, more than welcome. So, And I've already had responses coming back. So, we're, you know, we'll be doing a session tomorrow morning because there's no Sunday league games and we'll be, you know, practising and improving. And that's, that's another one of the benefits of the game. And another thing that really drew me towards futsal, and I don't know if you remember, right at the beginning, I said I had an older son as well. Well, um, he... Uh, I took him to the same Sunday league club that my eight-year-old plays for. But, you know, after, you know, a few winter training sessions, freezing cold, driving rain, and he wasn't really up for it. He wasn't really in love with the game as much. But since I started my this futsal team, I can't keep him away. Every session I, I, I run, he wants to be involved. He wants to come and play now. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, Daddy, can you, start an- can you start another team for my age group as well? He absolutely <laughs> loves it. So 
so that's another good thing to come out of it as well. I think kids really do enjoy the game of futsal. Very good. Very good. And so what, what would you say is, is next for yourself? Um, you, so you've now got two teams then that, that you coach in the Sunday league team and, and the futsal team. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, most, the next thing for me is, um, so I've done the FA level one in futsal. Uh, and I think, I think developmentally, um, there are other courses I want to do. Uh, what's on my radar for this year are doing a couple of, uh, the, I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, Kova, 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 not quite sure how to pronounce it. But um, Kova's a, or Kova's a, a system of uh, basically it's kind of built around and it's, and it's one of its real focuses are, are, are on a, a ball mastery, mastery of the ball itself and 1v1s, mm-hmm. 2v2s, that style of thing. So I want to go and do uh, one or two courses in that because I think as a, as a developmental tool for the players in my team, I think that'd be great for them to, to, for us all to be able to learn from that and then incorporate some of that into our into our training um obviously i really want to do the fa level one in coaching in football so that's something i want to uh complete this year as well i know the two of you are in the middle of doing it now right i've just finished mine actually oh wow yeah i finished on sunday so dave's i've been snowed off as well so (laughs) i was supposed to i was supposed to finish it today actually but uh snowed off till next week unfortunately yeah dave actually started the day before me and um, mine was the because he's doing it on a Saturday and I'm doing it on a Sunday, so we were kind of in tandem. But then his, I think, was it half term? You didn't do it. I think I think it was. I, I'm not sure if the uh, if the instructor was on holiday or something. But we had a we had a week off after it had started. Yeah. So so my last session was on Sunday, and I got everything signed off. And um, yeah, it was great. I would recommend anybody does it to any any coach oh, yeah. even even a Sunday league, little league team or whatever, because I've learned so much from it and it's going to be invaluable going forward. So, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great you've got your futsal one. I don't know how... I'm interested to see how different they are, actually. And obviously, you'll be in a position, if you do it, to to kind of compare. But, yeah. Well, so, I, the futsal level one, the main thing is it's only a, a one-day course. So, obviously, the, the amount of content is, is not going to be anywhere near the amount of content. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, you can't go on and do the futsal level two course until you've done the FA coaching football level one, because I think a lot of the groundwork which you really need for football in general is only available in that football level one course. So uh, I think okay. uh, so, so the futsal is really about just talking about futsal, but a lot of aspects about the four corner model, et cetera, et cetera, you only get from the football uh, course. So that's a prerequisite to the, the FA futsal level two. Okay, that sounds good. I, I mean, I I can't recommend it enough. I I, I was really impressed, um, and even I think going into it, you know, Ben and I had discussed obviously b- before we went ahead and and started doing the podcast that you know at, at the top of the tree, at the top of the English game, if you like, is that is the England team, and and they've not done very well. You know, understating it over the last over the last few years, but actually, I I think if you look at the 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 skill level of the the average England player, it's a, it's a lot better than I remember in the kind of uh, early nineties, say when you had 
players like Carlton Palmer kind of running around, <laughs> Keith Curl sort of springs to mind as well. I, I just think the the skill level of the players is a lot higher. So, you it, think Carlton Palmer wasn't skillful? <laughs> are, are you going to disagree with me on that? No, one? I'm not. <laughs> you, forgot, you forgot Jeff Thomas. Oh, Jeff Thomas and and that lob. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you had that 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 real kind of workhorse uh, footballer at the time, didn't you? And so, going into it, I, I, I felt the FA, you know, they they get a lot of bad press, don't they? But but I felt they were obviously doing something right, and and yeah, just going into the course and being on it, my, my expectations were were met and beyond that as well. Did I yeah, tell you? I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm just going to say, did I? On that, I don't know if I told you, Dave, previously. Um, my tutor said we were talking about um, kind of you know flair players and encouraging individual skill and all this sort of thing. And he said, which is quite interesting. He said the reason we produce and bless him, he used James Milner as an example. He said the reason we produce so many James Milners is because we're obsessed with getting players to pass the ball. And not be creative and not dribble past players and all this sort of thing. And I find that really interesting because I've fallen into that trap of pass the ball, pass the ball. Don't don't try and beat four players, you know. And the guy was saying it's not always the best option to pass the ball. If you've got a chance to beat two or three players and you can do it, do it. And I'd never thought about that before, really. And that was quite an eye opener for me and something I took away from it because I say to my players. Don't over dribble. I always and I say it because some of them do over dribble. They try and beat four or five players and they don't need to. But it was just interesting that he said we produce a lot of James Milner, and that's why when you talk about Carton Palmer, Jeff Thomas, I would class them as James Milner type players. Probably, were, I mean James Milner's talented because he wouldn't be where he is if he wasn't. But it's mm-hmm. just that whole, you know, your functional, good, solid player rather than being a messy type player. And I found that interesting. He said, "He said you don't want to encourage your players not to be individual because you'll knock that flair out of them, and you will produce your James Milner's." And I thought that was really, really interesting. I think it kind of goes back to that point of, um, in fact, I don't even know if we made this point earlier, but it's sometimes you can be results orientated, and I think when you're, if if you're more result orientated than player development orientated, if the play, if playing the passing game is going to get you the result, there may be uh, a tendency to try to play that game more. Because if you know, obviously if players are going to hold onto the ball and try and dribble more, and they're going to lose it, lose possession, then and if that's going to lead towards you losing more games, you know, if your results orientated, you're less likely to want to take that approach. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's. It's interesting. It's one of those when you see, I guess you're always in the back of your mind thinking of, I don't know, Barcelona or someone when they ping it around quickly and they move it from back to front quickly. And it looks, when it works, it looks amazing. And we've had games this season where we've played some brilliant football, passing it around and it's slick and it looks fantastic. And I think that's kind of how I want the team to play. But, but I do say to them, I don't want you to not dribble around players. If you've got a chance to dribble around a player, do it. Just don't try and, you know, when you've got two or three players around you and you've got to pass on to somebody in a better position, then pass it. But, yeah, I would never want them not to have that flair. Um, 
And you're right, there's always that balance between do you want to win the game or do you want to develop the player? And they kind of, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, one of the important aspects of their development is decision-making, right? And I guess the decision-making is going to be, should I dribble or should I pass? Now, ideally, you want to develop develop a player that can make either of those decisions, decisions and execute it well. So if he decides to dribble, you want him to be able to do that and beat someone 1v1. Or if he wants to pass, you want him to be able to pick out the right pass and play the pass. So I guess, you know, training them uh, in a way to develop them in both areas uh, would probably be ideal, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I do try and create scenarios where, you know, they'll be in, or, you know, if we're playing a game or I'll stop the game or I'll create a scenario where we've got an overload or whatever. And I'll say, right, what should you do? And I'll ask them, I'll challenge them and say, right, what should you do here? Should you dribble it past him? Should you go on a run? Should you get on the wing? Should you pass it back? What should you do? And I'll challenge them and say, you tell me what you think, think you should do. I said, I haven't got the right answer, but I'm just asking you to think if you're in that situation, what's the best thing to do at this point with the ball? And, you know, they kind of get it. And it's all about trying to think about where your defender's positioned. If you've got defender side on, you can drive on into the box, keep hold of the ball. If you've got defender directly in front of you, you've got a guy square to you who's free past the ball. And it's just trying to get them to think about mm. that. And they do They do tend to take it on board. I mean, I've got under 10, so they're probably, a, you know, they're a bit more advanced in terms of trying to make those decisions. And that's where you've got, I guess that's the challenge, gauging can they take on board what you're trying to get them to do? Are they too young? Are they at the right age? So that's that's the other kind of challenge that I found as well, and probably the same for you. Well, I think with my U9s, as you say, I think they're a little bit decision-making. I think they're not quite... I mean, that year between U9 and U10, I think there's quite a lot of development that takes place. Yeah. So I'm just really focusing on the fundamentals of... Let's do some one v. So what we'll do is when we uh, football staff off start a futsal session, often as a warm up, we'll play. Uh, is it is the game universally known as Wembley, where you literally have one goal, one goalkeeper, yeah. and then ten play outfield players all yeah. trying to drift past each other and, and get a shot on goal? God, I've not heard that game called that since I was probably ten. But yeah, we used to call that Wembley. Let's play Wembley. Yeah, three teams do, and you'd all try and score the same goal. Yeah, absolutely. I actually use that as part of our training now. So as and things, it works great as an opener when you don't have too many players. So yeah, in my football team, there's ten players. I might get six of them there on time. So then I'll go in goal, or one of them will go in goal, and then the other four or other five or six players will be outfield. They'll be playing Wembley. But what that forces them to do is there's no one to pass to. So yeah. they've literally just got to be able to use their wits and beat as many players as they can just enough just to make that inch worth of space to take a shot. So that game naturally begins to build that kind of take someone on mentality into them. So we do that. I think we do that every other week. We'll play something like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so Dean, that's been really interesting going through your journey there, and I, I'm sure it'll resonate with with a lot of people. It, it certainly resonates with me. I think what we're talking about there is actually ni- a, a nice segue because we've had a question come in from one of the listeners, and so given I've got two coaches here, two experienced coaches, I, I'll open it up to the panel effectively. So, <clears throat> let me read it out. It says, enjoying listening to the podcast. I recently finished my level one and are coaching an under 10 team of boys and one girl, my daughter. 
we have an extremely skillful player who could dribble his way out of a minefield. <laughs> so he'd be pretty good at Wembley, I imagine. Uh, his skill in advanced dribbling is a joy to watch, but not for the other players who get frustrated and disheartened by him. They are suffering a bit in development because of this, I think. What would you do? So I'll, I'll ask, I'm going to throw it out to you guys initially. What would you do? Um, well, I've spoke to you about this before. Last year, my lab played in a little league team and they had one player who was, don't get me wrong, unbelievably skillful. You could, he's like the kid at school. You know, you had always had that one kid at school who could just dribble for fun and you couldn't get the ball off him. And they had this kid in the team uh, and, he, and he, he just wouldn't pass. He wouldn't pass and he would, he would pick the ball up in his own half and he'd try and dribble around five, six players and try and score a wonder goal. Or he would also shoot from the most ridiculous angles that you've ever seen. And there's, you know, and you could hear all his teammates, oh, pass the ball, why? He won't pass it. And they'd be complaining to the coach about it. But unfortunately, the coach didn't really do anything about that, which is frustrating mm-hmm. because obviously, you know, if you've got your teammates who are complaining about a player, that's not a great position to be in. Um, so for me... I put. I've, I wouldn't say I wouldn't want that player in my team, but if I did have a player like that, I would. My thing would be to play him in. I'd probably play him in defence to start with, and I would put him in positions that he would be a bit less comfortable in. Not only because, not to teach him a lesson, but to get him to think about different aspects of the game. Right, you're a defender, so you can't go on a run and beat 10 players. This is your kind of zonal area you've got to look after. You've got to think about this guy attacking you. You've got to think about that guy. What are you going to do when you get the ball? So that would be the first thing I would do. I would put him in different positions and try and get him to think about other aspects of the game, teamwork, working together, rather than just being that individual, well, I'm here just to score five or six wonder goals a game. Um, And that's kind of... What are, we we spoke to our tutor about this this sort of thing, and he said the same thing. He said he said if it was me, and he said I've had players like that in the past. He said what I've done, I've played them in different positions, um, and I've set them personal challenges and said right, you can't take more than four or five touches before you've got to pass the ball, things like that, just to try and limit how often they're on the ball because mm-hmm. it's, it's no. So that that's the kind of approach that I would take. Because um, you can't just say, "Well, don't you've got to pass the ball? You've got to pass the ball. Stop dribbling." You've got to try and get educate them in terms of thinking about how to be part of a team. So that's that's probably what I would do, and just put them in different positions, set them different challenges in training. You know, use your left foot. You can take five touches, no more. You know, you can't go past out of this area of the pitch. You've got to work with this guy. So. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? But that—that—that's what I would do. I don't know, Dean, if you've come across. I've been looking. I've never had to coach a team who've got that player who is sort of out for personal glory. I don't know if you've come across anybody like that since you since you've been coaching. I don't know. Yeah, definitely have. And I think uh, the approach I've taken is pretty much the same as yours. I mean, a lot of my training is is condition based. So yeah. some of the conditions I use are you know three touch only one I've started using more recently has been based on time so I'd say something like because I want because I really want the players to be able to express themselves I'll say um, Mm -hmm. no player can possess the ball for say more than four seconds 
And literally, as soon as a player takes possession of the ball, in my head, I'll be counting 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. And literally, as I get to four, if they haven't released the ball and passed it, then I blow the whistle, free kick to the other team. So that type of thing I do to kind of encourage it. But at the same time, just making sure the player realises that the skill that he has is 100% valuable and that we absolutely want it and that, in fact, he should keep working on that skill and get even better at it. And as well as getting better at that skill that he's that is obviously good at dribbling, we also need him to work on these these other things, these other aspects of the game as well to really bring his entire game up. Um, I think sometimes there can be a, a, an emphasis on dumbing certain skills that players have down. Where I think I think my approach, and remember, I haven't done my FA level one in in coaching football, so. I'm kind of coming from a different perspective, one an, un, an unlearned one, if you want to call it that. But I think my approach is um, if a player has a specific talent, um, yeah, I want to bring all his other skills up. But also I want him to realise he has this amazing talent, which maybe other players don't have. And I want him to enhance that even further. Uh, you know, even even modern day footballers, not all footballers are good on their left foot. Some of them are so right footed they can barely use the left foot but that right foot is an absolute wonder of a right foot so it's a case of you know uh allowing them to express themselves um appreciating the skills that they do have telling them to you know cherish that get better at it but also let's also practice these other things and i kind of encourage those other things as you do through through conditions of number of touches time possession uh, possession on the ball playing them in other positions so yeah pretty much the same approach as yourself yeah, and I think uh, definitely, I would say the uh, the thing that you mentioned there about say just just use your left foot. So maybe maybe you set that as a challenge in a in a game, you know, in a match day. Right, only use your left foot today, or you know, before you score, I want you to get in at least three passes to your teammates, or, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and thinking in terms of that that four corner model, you know, it sounds like on the technical and tactical side, they're, they're probably very, you know, they're forging ahead, aren't they? They're very, very advanced, but probably if, I mean, the, the, the coach there seems to be a bit concerned about the impact that it's having on the rest of the team. So certainly the social side is, is probably lagging behind. So trying to figure out, you know, how, how we can encourage them to, to get a few more passes in and, and basically be part of the team rather than that that individual. No, absolutely. I think it's obviously no, that's why again it, the course is so important because you don't you'd never think about those things probably the four corners and the social aspect of it and obviously you can see teammates getting frustrated but you've got to handle those players in a different way. You can't handle them the same as you handle your other players because they're a like, that's a really good point. You don't want to knock that skill out of them. You want to develop it, but also you've got to make them realise they're part of a team and it doesn't work in a team environment, being that way, playing that way. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think that's that's the thing that has, has been my eye-opener. I mean, I came into, joining my club now, I came into it, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of fun and, you know, we all, it's all about the match day. It's all about, you know, trying to win a game of football, but it's not, it's more than that. And without getting too, you know, too deep into it, it's like I, I said, he said, you guys are doing such an important job. He said, you could be coaching the next England player. 
So you don't know, even if you've got an eight-year-old, you don't know if he's going to play for England. He, may, he Chance are he won't, but you may have that one player in your team that could play for England. You're, you've got such an important role to play in that, even at this age, in developing that talent. And, and it really made me think, yeah, this isn't, it's not as fun as it is, as enjoyable as it is. It is, it's, it's a serious thing as well. And you've, you know, you're playing a big part in these kids' lives. And I've never really thought about that, to be honest, before I started this course. It was all about a bit of fun at a weekend, um, you know, and trying to win a game of football. But it's, it's not, he made the point is what's more important, the match day or training? And we all said both. He said, exactly. So he said, if anything, the training is more important than the match day, which was very interesting. And again, it's that whole different perspective that you have on the whole thing, which you wouldn't get unless you did the course. Some people may, but personally, I didn't. It, for, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it was all about, yeah, it's a bit of fun at the weekend. And But the more you think about it, the more you think, yeah, these kids are 10, 11, 12. And if you're going to carry on, you know, it's a really important thing that you're doing and a role that you've got to play in their life. So I don't know what you guys, if that was the same for you before you did your courses or did you have a moment where you thought, yeah, actually this is, I don't know, that's, that's how it was for me. But um, I don't know, you may have a different perspective. I mean, I didn't, I haven't, I haven't been on the course and a, a lot of my, to be honest, a lot of my development um, has come from podcasts like this, but hundreds of other podcasts as well. I mean, I've... I don't know. I think I'm a bit uh, obsessive with the whole thing, to be honest with you. I'm constantly listening to podcasts, reading articles written by, you know, the, you know, um, let's say Ian Bateman, uh, Dick Bate, um, all kinds of figures that are heavily involved in kind of the FA's model or, or, or football DNA, uh, as they call it. Um, and listening to their expertise, doing the CPD online courses on the FA website, etc., and kind of learning from that. Um, so any any ideas I have around football really aren't my own. They're really all learned from those sorts of sources. And and when I hear that you learn these kind of things from the FA Level 1 course, it really makes me want to get on that course as soon as possible. Um, but luckily, I think for me, because I've really thrown myself into it from a learning perspective, trying to, uh, outside of the course, trying to absorb as much as possible from the internet, from the radio, <coughs> from podcasts, etc. I kind of picked up on some of those themes. Yeah, and I, I've started taking it so much more seriously since I did the course, both in terms of my research and what I, I want to do in training and planning my sessions. I, I was a bit like Dave probably, I, I, maybe yourself, Dean, in the early days. I used to just throw random things. I'd go on, similar to what you said earlier on, I'd go on YouTube. Oh, that looks a good practice. I, was gonna, I nearly said drill then. I had to stop myself. Sorry, me and Dave were talking, our, both our tutors have said, oh, we don't use the word drill, it's too military, we use practice. I'll keep trying to use the word practice and not say drill, because I always used to say drill. Um, that's our tutors, that's our, both our tutors' little thing. But um, yeah, I used to sort of random throw practices together that had no relation or didn't build up. It's like, oh, we do this one thing, then we do something else, and you know, I'm running around setting up cones in between, and it disrupts everything, the kids are booting the ball around, so... I've completely changed my approach to it. And I think I, I never would have got that if I hadn't done the course. I just wouldn't. I would still be going on YouTube thinking, well, that looks good. Let's try that this week. And I think just throwing random things together every week just doesn't work because the kids, 
there's no cohesion. It's like, oh, we did what we're we doing this for. We didn't do that. We've never done this before. Well, I want to keep it interesting. I want to keep it fresh. But building up the the one thing you, I mean, you may have done learned it on the futsal course is building up the practices. So you have your picture laid out before you start, and everything you do is ready, and you can do it in that pitch format. However, you set it up, you're not running around cha- changing cones in between practices. Everything's there, and you just build it up bit by bit, and that's been sort of revelation to me and probably Dave as well from speaking to him and just the way it flows is so much better um, and that planning is really important and I probably never used to really plan as much as I should have done and now I even we train on a Thursday and even probably on a even at Friday at work in my lunch hour I'm thinking right what can we do next week how are we going to build on what we did Thursday what do we want to let's try something different and it's really important that planning and preparation um, oh, I, t- I totally agree with that. I mean, literally before we, we started this conversation, I had another epiphany moment. Once I realised we were going to be doing a f- futsal training tomorrow, I suddenly started coming up with ideas. I thought, what am I actually going to do tomorrow? Let me get a plan in place of what we're going to do. And then those, yeah. you know, those, uh, those uh, creative juices start flowing and start coming up with some great ideas. Quickly get it down on scraps of paper. Okay, right, we can make a session around this because it, you know, connects nicely to what we uh connects nicely to what we did over the last couple of weeks it's taken us further in the direction that we want to go for our next match and uh yeah that 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 kind of proper preparation and planning uh is is, is pretty crucial yeah and don't get me wrong when i got i mean i primarily i'll be honest i hold my hands up and it's interesting when we when we went to the first day of the course the sort of guy the coach peter he was like right why are you all here? And probably half of the people said, because, because I've been told to come, you know, because their clubs have said, you've got, it's the same at my club. We, to, for me to carry on, I had to do my level one. Otherwise I can't, I couldn't coach there next year. Um, so I think a lot of us were kind of, oh, you know, we, we've, we've been told to come along and this sort of attitude, but there was never a moment in the whole four weeks that I was there that I, I thought, oh, this is a bind. You know, I don't want to be, I, I loved every minute of it. It was absolutely great. And the, the, each day flew by. Um, I'm so pleased that I did it. And it's made me possibly, I'll probably go and do my level two at some point, not for a while. But um, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. And I think it's made me take, take it so much more seriously than I ever would have done otherwise. Um, because it is an important job that you're doing, even if you don't know it. So, Absolutely. Guys, that's a, a really good discussion, and and I hope the listener, I hope I hope that helps the listener. We only got one. The listener, the one listener we have, the guy, the guy who asked the question. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, read his name out, you know, because he he's yeah, talked to me, he singled a player out there, so he knows who he is who asked the question. So uh, hopefully, we do have more than one. <laughs> but, just but downloading it loads just of times. all serious though, Dave. I don't know if I've asked you this before. Would is that the level one? Would you have done it if I don't know if you got asked to do it at your club, or so, or would you would you have got off your own back and done it? Because I, I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have done. So I'm kind of glad that I was in the got pushed into the position to do it because uh-huh. I don't I ever would have done it otherwise. So I'm probably um, so yeah. So I, I wasn't forced to do it. The uh, the head coach he's already he's actually a level two. Um, so I, I could have you know once you've done your 
uh, your minimum kind of first aid, safeguarding, all that, DBS checks and whatever. I, I could have just um, learned from him directly, but you know, it's quite a different question. Then, if he, if he didn't have, if he wasn't level one or two, would you have done it anyway, or did you feel oh, this guy's level? I should probably get a bit closer to where he is, and is that? Uh, a bit, a bit of that, and and it's a it's a charter standard club as well. So, right. for the team, you have to have a bare minimum of of one level coach, level one coach. Um, but yeah, I, I was quite keen to do it because I knew, you know, we we've all done the same, and we we all started with YouTube. And and how great is that, by the way, that the amount of stuff that people put up there, um, yeah. But, you know, actually, I knew there was something missing. I didn't really have that structured approach. And even though, you know, I spent the best part of 40 years playing, that that teaches me absolutely the square root of nothing, you know, about actually coaching the game. So I, I think I, I, I was quite keen to do it, even if, you know, even if the club weren't pushing it at all. Mm. Yeah, I was just interested. So let's move on to our retro review. So today we're going to be talking about Johan Cruyff. And Dean, as our guest, I think it'd be quite good if... uh, you could go ahead and, and start us off there about what, what are your memories? What what do you know about Johan Cruyff? And, of course, the famous Cruyff turn. Uh, I, think, I think that was one of the... I'll tell you what, I, think, I was never a skillful player, but if there was one skill I saw someone do and I actually attempted, it was actually the Cruyff turn. And um, I think actually... I think before even seeing footage of Cruyff doing it, I saw someone do it on a, and I was obviously very young at the time. I saw someone actually do it on a pitch and was just like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Wow. I want to learn how to do that. And obviously sometime after that, then seeing footage of Cruyff doing it, thinking, Oh, the, the guy's a genius. Um, but my, I, th- I think my, my memories of, of him and, and things I've learned about his career and playing style afterwards, obviously that was, he was part of the whole Dutch um, total football era. So their outlook and their philosophy, their approach to to the game as a whole, you know, training and actually playing wise was very different from, I think, uh, the way anybody else was playing in that in that era. And I think that led and allowed him to really uh, use all of his creativity, you know, being able to being part of such a team that had that kind of philosophy. And he was a real, real creative player. I mean, when it came, I read his, actually read his autobiography um probably about maybe nine ten months ago now and one thing he said about when specifically when he was talking about the Cruyff turn he said uh in training it wasn't really in him to to train such moves so so nowadays where you'd get you know uh, uh players you know training and doing different types of chops and cuts and all this sort of stuff obviously he'd do that but he would never really he said in his autobiography he never really practiced skill moves he never really practiced um the Cruyff turn itself it's not something that he would go and practice during his training sessions and he seemed to allude to when he actually did it in the game it just being 
it just coming to him at the time that he wanted to fake the defender and go in another direction. And that's just the natural flow of his movement. The first thing that kind of came to him to do, and it just kind of came about. That's the way he kind of described that move and, and, and his approach to kind of the skills that you often see him uh, using games. Yeah, I think I, I think the first time I, it probably wasn't the first time I saw a Cruyff turn, but it, it's the it's the one that had the most impact. And we've talked about it on the show before, but it's actually uh, Paul Gascoigne uh, when he was playing for England against Holland in the 90 World Cup. And he just took two defenders completely out of the game with a with a Cruyff turn right in between the, the two of them. And, and at the time, I was just like, what, what was that? Was, you know, at one point he was, he was there, you know, and, and going nowhere. And then the next minute he's, he's got a run on goal and, you know, we nearly scored. And it was only after, you know, I, I'd found out, you know, about this particular turn and where it came from. And, uh, it's really interesting what you say about that, about him not practicing it, you know, makes you sick, quite honestly. Probably plays the piano and the guitar and the violin and everything as well, doesn't he? Without without one lesson, but you know he he sort of does it in the game for you know in a massive game and the defenders off you know <laughs> he's off to the post office, isn't he? He's, he's sold him completely. Uh, it's pretty impressive that he he hadn't practiced that. Yeah, I, I think, I, think it's one, I guess it's one of those things that could come to you if, if you're... It's kind of like watching the modern-day Messi play. I mean, so much of what he does is kind of feints and misdirections. I guess if, you're, if your game or your dribbling is generally about feints and misdirection, then it allows you to kind of... Rather than learning specific moves to pull those things off, in the moment your body can naturally do things just to, you know, that, that little drop of the shoulder, that little movement just to send the defender one way where you go the other I guess you know if you you take that approach to, to dribbling and 1v1 you can see how maybe a player could kind of come up with something like that off the cuff absolutely and so Ben I, I think you were saying something there um no I was the same as you is that that Gaza move that's probably the first time I ever saw it and then one of my favorite things if you've seen that footage of Cruyff it's probably in the World Cup it might be against Argentina and he's on the wing. Mm-hmm. He does it? Oh, it's just he just it's just effortless. Makes it look easy. And yeah. One of, one of my favourite things of that move was obviously for with my Welsh hat on. Um, was Hal Robson Carno in the Euros last oh, year? Oh, about three Portuguese oh, defenders was, off to the halfway line, didn't he? Just outrageous and. <laughs> I remember thinking, I just thought it was one of the greatest goals I've ever seen because just the way, the composure to do that. And obviously it was a, it was kind of, it wasn't, it was, it was a Cruyff turn. And just the way he sent two or three defenders the wrong way was amazing. And if you can carry it off, it looks great. And similar to Dean, I always, when I used to play, I was rubbish at playing, but I always used to try a Cruyff turn. I used to love it. I always used to try and do some ridiculous fancy turn like that and it was the only sort of move I ever tried to do I never used to do step overs anything else it was always trying to do a Cruyff turn I used to love it it was my favourite move it was all from watching Paul Gascoigne do it and then later seeing that footage of Johan Cruyff doing, doing it and it was amazing 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think everyone tries them, don't they? I mean, I, I only do it just to cut back inside, you know, not, not, you'll never, or I'll never pull it off like uh, Cruyff yeah. or, or Gascoigne did for sure. I only ever used to do it if I had players around me because I, del- I would deliberately try and do it to try and take them out of the game like, like Gazza did. Mm-hmm. And that was my, I never used to do it any other time. It was only if I had defenders kind of on top of me, I thought, right, I'm going to try and do my Cruyff turn. Never worked, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a thought that counts. My mum says, "Exactly, <laughs> just sort of fall over and look a bit ridiculous." But, but that that's interesting. What what you say there, Dean, about kind of that mentality of just being able to to try things out, and and again, that was one of the the things that I picked up from the FA. Um, instructor he was quite keen that you know again don't don't encourage these repetitive dribbles uh drills sorry you know where the you're just practicing the ronaldo chop or a Cruyff turn or whatever try and you know help them to understand the basics of being creative and then let them figure it out let them learn and you know it's it's going to be a little bit messy but no pun intended not Lionel messy but Messy with a Y, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they, they might just surprise you. It's one of those challenges as a coach. It's, you know, if you just, if you, if you're running a session, you just think, okay, but what can you do to encourage creativity? I mean, do you just let them play and do whatever they want? I'm not quite sure what the secret is to encouraging. I mean, I try to give, uh, as much freedom as I can in the hope that and it, sometimes I'll try and really encourage it. So I may say uh, two two points for a goal. And if you take someone on 1v1 and you pass them, you get an extra point for your mm-hmm. team. Things like that to really encourage them to just go for it, have a try. And the amazing thing is you really see the players, they just start going for it. And all manner of body movements and and and. Uh, quick feet movement start kind of coming out very few are successful um but the good thing is that at least they're giving it a go you know i mean actually have a try but i don't know is is that the way you encourage that kind of creativity well i think the i don't think there's a golden answer to that is there but (laughs) but one of the things is, is kind of what we've been talking about earlier in in that you know giving them an environment making sure they have an environment where they can feel comfortable that they can take a chance and try something out as opposed to your your little i, I wonder what an eight-year-old james milner would look like actually but you know who he'd just pretty, plays he'd be pretty good actually I, i'd imagine he would wouldn't he but you know he'd, he'd, he'd be playing the passes through and and yeah. what have you and and you know, keeping the ball, you know, his, his past succession rate would probably be really high. But, you know, someone like a Coutinho's past succession uh, or past completion would be less, but that's because he's trying more uh, tricky things there. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, Cruyff was part of that team that uh, probably one of the best teams never to actually win the World Cup, wasn't he? But, um, Dean, you mentioned about total football there. And again, I, I think at, at the time it was fairly radical, wasn't it? You know, defenders were defenders, uh, attackers were attackers, and, and the Dutch really challenged that mindset. And I don't think we 
we probably don't have that now where anyone can play any position, but I'm not even sure. Was that really true with the, with that Dutch team? Well, I mean, essentially it really was. I think their philosophy was very much of, you know, everyone loves to use the term now, playing out from the back, but you've got to remember only a decade ago, we'd bypassed the midfield completely. But now, you know, through modern football, everyone's playing out from the back, watching Barcelona, etc. But that's exactly the way they used to play. I mean, uh, in Cruyff's own words, he would say, uh, the defenders are the first attackers and the attackers are the first defenders. So you've got the, the pressing game that the attackers would play, but then the defenders, once they've got the ball, they're expected to start the attack. And whether that means uh, moving the ball forward, dribbling it into the spaces or looking for those probing balls. But, you know, he, he, back then his philosophy uh, or, or the Dutch philosophy at the time that he was a part of is, I think, what our coaching and what uh, the top players in the premiership are uh, kind of are trying to espouse now. So they were just obviously well ahead of their time. And um, I think uh, the rest of Europe, especially England, uh, are just kind of playing catch up now so many decades later. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we were talking a few weeks ago about uh, Wimbledon, that that kind of crazy gang time and... Uh, I think a lot of the a lot of the football for through the nineties, I think, was just very functional, wasn't it? You know, the, you look from where it was then in in the nineties to where it is now, and, and especially that that Man City side is uh, is pretty impressive. You know, just just understating it a little bit, <laughs> but you know, it's uh, it's a joy to watch at times, isn't it? It is. No, it is, and it's the way. That's what I said before about getting my team to pass the ball. It's all about. I don't want them to be smashing it long, and I want them to be creative, and I just want them to be good to watch. And that's the most important thing for me. We don't. If we win games, brilliant. But as long as they're in, a enjoying it, be learning to play the right way. I mean, I'm not saying there's a wrong way to play, but the way I would like them to play is to pass the ball around and to to have it to to be. I don't, I don't know, to have it enjoyable to be watched, if that makes sense. One, one other thing about Croy's philosophy, it was very much, there are two teams, but there's only one ball. So whichever team you're on, you want to be the ones that are, have possession of the ball. Mm-hmm. So immediately that kind of takes that philosophy of you, of the long ball game out of the picture. You want to make sure you've got your team have the ball, you have possession, and you want to keep possession by either passing it to uh, obviously another one of your teammates or by dribbling into space, etc. But it's all part of that same philosophy, and exactly uh, is exactly the way you know you're trying to approach the game yourself now. Yeah, it'd be an interesting uh, conversation between, say, Cruyff there and and someone like a Jose Mourinho, who <laughs> <laughs> doesn't seem to want the ball at all. You know, you guys have the ball and we'll just wait till you make a mistake. Yeah, there's that. There's a really fascinating, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's a really fascinating piece of, I won't call it literature, but there's an article or, or whatever. And it, it was about the kind of, it was Guardiola's philosophy and Mourinho's philosophy. And they were completely opposite. And I, I can't remember the just, you know, the details behind it, but Mourinho's philosophy was very much kind of just wait for the opposition to make a mistake because they will. Let them have the ball and at some point 
they'll make a mistake and then you that's when you capitalize but and obviously it's completely the opposite to me i can't remember it, it was really fascinating to read it and if you could if you can read it i would recommend it because it's absolutely you can just once you read it you think yep i totally understand why Mourinho is doing what he does mm-hmm. I, I understand his philosophy and it's not the philosophy that i like or i would i agree with but it's effective but when you read it you think yeah i can see what that just sums up what he's doing and it's all about you don't need the ball to win a game of football you can win a game of football without having much of the ball and it was all about that whereas guardiola's was very much about having the ball and this that and the other but it was absolutely yeah, fascinating too Two different, completely ways of, of playing the game, but probably two of the greatest coaches in terms of medals and trophies of the modern era. That's one of the great things about football, right? It's, uh, exactly, yeah. There's no right or wrong way, you know. No right or wrong way, a common language, yet at the same time, hundreds of different languages, hundreds of yeah. different ways of addressing the game. And it's, uh, it's that that kind of keeps us involved. It makes it so interesting. Absolutely, and it's like a game of chess. It's like, I mean, those two are classic. You've got one guy who, it's just, um, his team are amazing with the ball. And as much as Mourinho's football leaves me cold watching it, you know, this guy, you can't argue with his record. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, like went into, I'm, obviously, I don't want to go off tangent, but went into Milan, won the Champions League. I remember watching that Barcelona semi final, I think it was a semi final. They, they had about 18% possession or something. And they still managed to find a way to win, and that's down to Mourinho. But was that uh, when they had about nine on the pitch? I think so. Yeah, I think they had, had ten men as well, or nine men, and yeah, they got a nil-nil draw away, and they went through. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's one of the one of the most impressive defensive performances I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. But we're, I mean, we're talking about Pep there, and and obviously he's he's had the whole uh, Cruyff influence, hasn't he, from that that time at Barcelona? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's probably played a huge part in his coaching philosophy. I would think it would be hard not to, wouldn't it? Having somebody as incredible as that to learn. Mm-hmm. I think he says it himself that um, you know, uh, without Pep, he he. he wouldn't know what he knows about football today. Oh, sorry, without so without Cruyff, he wouldn't know yeah. what he knows about football today. And I think very much his style was based on uh, the things he learnt from from Cruyff uh, through the his his involvement with Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. So if we're looking for, I guess if we're looking for a, a trail uh, or the philosophy, uh, what um, Cruyff has left behind. I mean, one sure way of of of, of seeing the result of his work would probably be by watching the, the modern day Manchester City team and their approach yeah well you can yeah you can see that definitely it's not a bad testament is it <laughs> it's not absolutely okay so anything else you want to anything else you want to say about Johan Cruyff I don't think so um, I'm probably too young to I wish Comment further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I'd say is that I could recommend his, his autobiography, a very good read. Um, and myself, I'm looking for, I'd love to find more resources where I can find more about his philosophy and, and his approach, if anybody knows any. Yeah, so that, that autobiography, I'll, I'll definitely try and give that a read. That sounds, uh, sounds interesting. So I think let's, let's wrap up there then. So, Dean, it's been fantastic 
to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate you being candid with us and, and telling us all about your journey. It's been great to have you on. Thank you very much. It's been therapeutic for me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Excellent. And thanks very much, Ben. And Cheers, we'll close mate. it out there. Catch you soon. Cheers, everybody, for listening. And yeah, thanks again to Dean. Take it easy. You've been listening to the Grassroots Coachcast. If you do like the show, then please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast catcher of choice. And while you're there, we really do appreciate those five-star reviews or a go lato that helps other people find the podcast. You can get in touch with us by email at grassrootscoachcast at gmail.com or if you want to tweet us at grootscoachcast, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs>